following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. So the reading is taken from the second book of Samuel, chapter 12, and beginning to read at the beginning of the chapter, and you will find that on page 315 in the Bibles that you have there. 2 Samuel, chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord said: says, Out of your own household I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
Well, hello again. I'm uh, very happy to be here with you this morning, especially uh, kudos to you all who had a little panic attack when you looked at your watches in the morning. Um, and of course, if you're a, fans of, uh, a fan of rugby, thank you for coming today. Uh, good on you. Um, as I said last week, I feel very grateful to be here uh, and very excited to worship alongside you and serve in the marketplace here. And uh, I even, in, for this occasion, put on my fancy preaching shoes. Uh, so, the game plan for this morning, as we continue in our series about the root of Jesse, as we look at this lineage of Jesus Christ, is to uh, look at the main themes of light and sight, as well as sin and repentance. So we're going to have a, a quick review of what Andrew spoke of last week. We're going to look at chapter 12, which was just read to us, and then we're going to explore a little bit in Psalm 51. So that's, that's quite a bit in a short period of time, but uh, we'll get through this together. Um, so let us pray. God, have mercy upon us according to your loving kindness. May we be illumined. Lord, you are our light. May we live in your life and in your presence and recognize your love and goodness to us this morning. Speak to us, O Lord, Ephatha, be opened. Lord, open our eyes that we may have eyes to see. Open our ears that we may have ears to hear. O Lord, open our lips and our mouths shall proclaim your praise. And may I speak in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So until last week, our golden child, David, son of Jesse, he was the Kevin Keegan of his day. He was the man after God's own heart, hero, friend, warlord, and now king. Until last week, everything we had read about David had been about how great he was, how even though David had been acquainted with suffering and with injustice, he remained faithful to who God was. He remained faithful to God, and God established David's house and his throne forever. And then in last week's reading, everything changed. David mucked up badly. That's mucked with an M. He mucked up badly. Andrew, uh, thank you, Andrew, by the way. Uh, he spoke last week about the story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, so let's recap just a little bit of what uh, Andrew said. And if you have your pew Bibles, or your little Bibles, could I get you to turn to page 314? So King David, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. While Uriah was off fighting in David's wars, Bathsheba became pregnant, and uh, David ultimately had Uriah killed uh, to cover up his own shame. David, who had once looked so promising, standing impressively before King Saul, his predecessor, holding the still bleeding head of Goliath, uh, David, young David, who had conquered the Philistine giant, has now been conquered uh, by his own lusts. So how the story itself is written is really interesting to me. Last week, Andrew pointed out a feature I would like to just repeat here. After David heard the report of Uriah's death, and by the way, Uriah literally means God is my light, David sends a message back to his general saying, if you look in verse 25 of chapter 11, it says, Say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. 
But literally, in Hebrew, it translates, don't let this be evil in your sight. Now contrast this with the very last line of uh, chapter 11, just on the top of page 315. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. But literally, it translates as, but the thing David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. So we have these images of sight, and there's a direct parallel here that we're meant to see. This theme is found again and again throughout the Bible, most notably for our purposes in the time of Judges, just previous to the time of the Israelite kings, uh, to our readings uh, uh, for this series. Again and again, the people of Israel would do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Calamity would befall them. They would call out to the Lord for deliverance, and God would deliver them. And the final line of that book of Judges is that in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. But literally translated, they did what was right in their own eyes. What a statement. They did what was right in their own eyes, but this was evil in the sight of the Lord. The two didn't line up. Now, for this morning, there's just one more example in chapter 11 I'd like to point out before we move on. So at the end of verse 2, right at the beginning of chapter 11, it reads, um, let's see. So after a lovely afternoon nap, David is standing out on his balcony, rooftop balcony, and he looks down into the city at all that he had accomplished. He's safe, he's secure, and he is king. And that's when it happened. He saw her. Verse 2, from the roof he saw the woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. But literally in Hebrew, it's translated as, he saw the woman bathing, and the woman was beautiful to the eyes. This language makes me think of all sorts of other temptations in the Bible, but it is meant to make us think of one in particular, one you might remember. Did God really say, you must not eat of any tree in the garden? Then later, the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye. Etc. And we know what happened next. So King David did what was right in his own eyes. He sinned, and in his mind he had gotten away with it. He's now married to Bathsheba. They have a child together, and he thinks he's gotten away with it. And chapter 12, verse 1 reads, The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him. Sin and repentance these days are not very popular subjects. (laughs) There's a sense in which, in our society, we may have grown past such archaic terms. And many churches even are avoiding speech concerning sin and repentance uh, because it sort of detracts from the uh, the sort of positivity that they want to sort of get across. But hear what St. Paul saith. This is a true saying, and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. As one author wrote, abandoning the language of sin will not make sin go away. Human beings will continue to experience alienation, deformation, damnation, and death, no matter what we call them. Sin is that propensity for human beings to muck things up. That's muck with an M. Is anything that mars or distorts or twists that image of God. Sin destroys relationships. It destroys our relationship with one another, destroys our relationship with ourselves, destroys our relationship with the environment, 
And of course, and most importantly, it destroys our relationship with God, who is creator and author of our faith. What I want us to see here is that it is God who takes the initiative to bring David to repentance, for him to see the gravity of what he has done and to turn away from his sins and back to his dependence upon God. It is God who is faithful to us. It is God who sees us, who knows our temptations, he knows our struggles, and he has mercy upon us. He frees us from the power of sin and death, and he restores us to relationship with him. Jesus cleanses his temple, which we have profaned. As St. Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in thee. We are created to be temples of a holy God, and we find our freedom and our true selves when this is realized, when God himself takes his rightful seat in the throne room of our hearts. So God initiates, and the prophet Nathan tells David a story about a poor man and a rich man, and Nathan tells it very well, the rich man who stole the poor man's lamb, and in verse 3, who was like a daughter for him, to him. Let's see. In verse 5, David burned with anger against the man. And then if we go to verse 7, let's read. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you despised me and took my wife of Uriah, took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. The penny drops. God speaks through the prophet, and it's as if David's eyes are opened. He hadn't been seeing things properly, and now it's as if the scales had fallen off. He sees what he has done in the proper light. He sees things clearly, and he is afraid. I have sinned against the Lord, he says. Penitence is ever the fruit of adoring vision. The more holy I find God, says von Hugel, the more wicked I find myself to be. Thou the holy, thou the strong, I the unholy, feeble, sinful, yet able in my weakness to perceive beauty and adore. So, would you now please be able to take your Bibles? You in the front have one for every two people. Um, if you could share, that would be lovely. Uh, take your pew Bibles and turn to page 573 to Psalm 51. As I've been studying Psalm 51, I've been struck by the importance of uh, confessing and naming our sins before God in worship. And if anybody so desires, uh, you can come Find a brother, find a sister, find a clergy member, uh, come to myself, and we can pray together uh, after the service. Um, 
And of course, after, after I'm done here, we'll have a time of reflection and prayer as well. So Psalm 51, page 573. It's said to be written by King David after the events, events of what we've been talking about so far. Now, I'd been planning uh, to go line by line and discuss each, each bit uh, with you. Uh, and I decided late last night, as of course I couldn't sleep, uh, that uh, instead we'll do something else. Uh, that we're not going to go through it line by line together and, and look at all the neat little features and such. Um, which is really a shame. I had, I had some really golden stuff in there. The, the golden sermon things. You know, done my shoes honor, I think. Um, but, uh, but what we're going to do instead is we're going we're gonna to pray the psalm together. And I'll explain how we'll do that in a moment. Um, but the psalm, instead of just reading it and discussing it, it is better to be meditated upon and chewed over. It's meant to be prayed. Uh, we're meant to digest it. So, with that said, there are a couple things I wanted to see. As we read it, as we pray it, I want you to get the sense of David's earnestness in his prayer. The picture of a man on his knees before God. Tears, recognizing what he, had, what he had done, what he had profaned, how he had broken his relationship and sinned uh, so many times over, how he had gone so wrong. He begs for mercy, yes, but he also begs for cleansing, inner and outer. But he also recognizes the need to go deep, that there's something at the core of his being that needs to be changed. One of my favorite authors, Evelyn Underhill, writes, We're the mere escape from consequence, the blotting out of transgressions, the object of our prayer. How greatly it would fall beneath the level on which Christ has placed man's relation to God, and how easy a concession it would be uh, to offer our inveterate self-love. But instead of an easy concession, the easy passing of a sponge over a slate, it is a stern and painful process, it means the reordering of the soul's disordered love, setting right what is wrong, washing it from wickedness and cleansing it from sin. And in the end, David recognizes his utter need for God in everything. He can't even praise God apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. What the Lord is looking for is the condition of our hearts. He's looking for a humble heart and a penitent spirit, not a, rebelli- a rebellious or stubborn heart or a proud or unrepentant spirit. So, page 573, Psalm 51. What we'll do is we'll pray it responsorially, which means I will read uh, one verse. So I'll read the odd verses, and, and you all could follow along with the even verses. All right? Let us pray. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Show 
Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So let me end with this. Our Savior calls us out of the tomb out of our own sin. Let us repent of our death and brokenness and follow him into the light. The night has passed and the day lies open before us. May we look to God to see where he is leading and may we take courage to allow the good physician to create in us a pure heart and renew in us a right spirit. May we trust in the Lord with all our heart and be not wise in our own sight. In all our ways acknowledge him and he will make straight our paths. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.